You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Okay, I want you to imagine that uh, you uh, are heading home from a, just a dynamic time uh, with God in, in the in church, maybe on a Sunday afternoon, and it's uh, peaceful, it's relaxing, and uh, man, you just, and God touched your life, you've made some significant changes in your life, and and uh, you just, man, you just feel at peace because you know God's working in you and you're obeying him. You go home, you and your family, and uh, it's so peaceful, you, you decide to take a nap. But then you wake up to find yourself tied to a chair. And uh, you wake up to find yourself tied to a chair, and uh, in front of you is your wife and your son who is um, being held captive who is being abused before your very eyes. And the last thing you remember is getting hit in the head. You wake up the next day and your entire life is upside down. The people that you love have been robbed out of your life. Your future has been taken from you and uh, you can't help but wonder, God, um, I thought I was on the right track here. God, I thought we were doing the right thing. God, where are you? What happened? Uh, where are you in my life right now? I thought I just heard your voice and I was making significant changes to make a big change and difference in my life. Now that scenario may not, you know, really happen to any of us, but some of us, it, it looks different. For some of us, it's, it's you come to work and, and find you've been given a letter of, of termination. For some of you, it might be that doctor's visit, that doctor's appointment where you get the news that, that you have a disease that, that you never thought in your whole life that you would have. Or you might get the news that your child or your sick is sick or your wife who you adore is, is not going to live. And, and you can't help but think, God, man, I gave my life to you. I thought things were going to be different. I thought my future would be different. In those moments, we can't help but wonder if God is playing some sort of cruel joke on us. That's the mindset of the people during the time of Nahum. We're currently in a series called What's His Name? And we've been spending the summer going over the obscure, small books of the Bible by the names of prophets. And uh, they're called minor prophets, not because they're less important, but because they're small And today, a tiny book, three chapters that you can literally read in about eight minutes. It's a tiny book. And um, here's kind of how the prophets fit into the background. If you kind of take a look, this kind of we've been looking at each week. The prophets are a series of men uh, who came, you can see here, who came and talked to Judah and Israel during important times of their life. This is, this is the nation of God that turned into a civil war against brother, against sister, against uh, mother and father, who parted ways, became two nations, one filled with nothing but evil kings, and one of them where the majority of them were evil, but a few of them stood out. And these prophets that came during different times of their life to help them to get back on track and to challenge them to turn to God before it was too late. And these are in order and, and we're at Nahum and Nahum is right before the great attack of Babylon. And we're going to actually talk about that next week. And in, in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how these prophets have come to Israel and Judah today 
there's an interesting prophet. The, the prophet this time is going to the enemy. He's a prophet to the nation of Assyria. And I want you to think real quick, what's your favorite verse from Nahum? Quick. Somebody quick. Anyway, favorite verse. Yeah, me neither. Uh, there, there's not really uh, a, a verse that stands out that we remember. Now, as we dive into this, you're going to find it's really actually quite rich. Um, however, uh, because it's so small, I mean, go home, read it today. Read it in eight minutes. Take, you know, take it to the restroom with you and finish the whole book before take two because you'll be done really fast. Um, it, it is a very short book, but it's power packed, filled with with just a big God who's doing in a very amazing Thing. So we're going to dive right in. Nahum is about God's judgment on the city of Nineveh, which, uh, Nineveh, which is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And in order for us to get the big picture of what's happening here, we need to go back in time about a hundred years because the story for us begins with a prophet who was sent a hundred years before Nahum to give them a message of grace. Maybe you've heard of the prophet Jonah. In fact, he's one of the minor prophets. He's one of the ones that we looked at while we were at uh, Big Stuff Camp and Stan spoke on Jonah. But we're going to kind of go back to Jonah a little bit because we need to understand a little bit about Nineveh. So let's go to Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Basically, Jonah is a guy who was told by God to go to the city of Nineveh and preach grace to them. Jonah hated the people of Nineveh because they are people who, who kidnapped their family, who assaulted their people who uh, corrupted their land, and God says, but now, Jonah, I want you to go and extend grace and love to them. Jonah said, no way. So he ran from God, went in the opposite direction. God got him back on track through a miracle of events. You can read the book of Jonah. It's the Jonah and the big fish story. God got him back on track. He went from running from God to running for God. And here he is. He shows up in Nineveh, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, arise, Go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim it in the proclamation, uh, proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh, if you have a Bible, I want you to underline this, was an exceedingly great city. A three days' walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city, the, the main city, a day's walk, one day's walk. Now, it seems to contradict itself. It says three days walk, then one day's walk. So I want to kind of give you an idea of Nineveh as a city. Um, I've got some pics here. I want to show you some pics of Nineveh. This is what Nineveh would have looked at during the time of, uh, of Nahum for sure. Possibly part of this during the time of Jonah. This is the great city of Nineveh. It is where modern day uh, Mazul is, which is North Iraq. So when you think of Nineveh, I want you to think of North Iraq because that's exactly where it's at. It was a large, beautiful city. Go to this next slide. It is actually believed to be the actual location of the great hanging gardens. Maybe it's one of the ancient wonders of the world believed to be in Babylon. But in the last decade, they found evidence to, uh, to say that there is no doubt that these great gardens were most likely in Nineveh. So this great wonder of the world was right there in this massive, beautiful city. Now check out this next slide. This is the actual walls of the city. The city itself was eight miles within the walls. 
That's why it took Jonah about a day's walk to walk through it. And it was 20 miles outside of the walls of suburb. That's why it took him three days to walk through the outside. Jonah said it took three days to walk through. Now, during the time of Jonah, there was about 120,000 people. By the time it was at Nahum, 100 years later, it was nearly 200,000 plus people in Nineveh. Massive city, big city, an exceedingly great city, the Bible says. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, God extended grace, and this is what Nineveh said. And he, Jonah, cried out and said, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That means you got 40 days to get things right. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. That means it's a sign of humility. And uh, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself in sackcloth and sat on ashes. Again, that is a sign of humility and brokenness and complete surrender. So here's what happened. God extended grace. They responded to grace, humbled themselves, and God spared their life. They humbled themselves, and they soon, however, unfortunately, turned back to their old ways. And they went back not only to their old ways, but they got worse. So let me tell you about what happened to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of an empire that grew into what is known the Assyrian Empire. It was a massive empire. In fact, it was the greatest empire of its time. There is yet to be an empire that had the influence that the Assyrians have had on the world. In fact, I've got some, some uh, pictures here I want you to see. Um, this is the Assyrian Empire. It basically covered the entire Middle East. And it covered, at one point, the entire Egyptian kingdom. It had more people in its control than anyone at that time in the history of the known world. And it was the first to use paved roads. It was the first to have an underground water system. It was the first to have a library. It was the first to use musical notation. They were the first group of people to invent flushing toilets. They were the first to use math. And science, they perfected the idea of medicine. They were able to do amazing things. Go to this next slide. You can kind of see they built an amazingly large, colorful civilization. Their city and their cities all over Iraq, which were the nation, the the capital cities of the Assyrian Empire, were unlike any other cities on the face of the earth. But not only were they advanced as a nation, but they also became advanced in violent strategic warfare. Now, they found these uh, images, and I want to talk to you a little bit about what they did. They did what was called the head count. You ever heard of that phrase, head count? What head count means is when they would go in and kill people, they didn't just count the bodies. They actually cut off their heads and brought them home to them, and they laid the bags and trailers and, and, and chariots filled with human heads and they counted them before the Assyrian kings and empire. And that's how they knew how many people they killed. They severed heads. They were also known for skinning their people. They had a tremendous amount of torture. They were cruel. They displaced people. They were one of the only nations that completely wiped out people by removing them from their people group from their nation and sending them two or 300 miles away to the opposite end of their kingdom and then bringing people from the opposite end into a new place to completely destroy a culture. 
When they attacked Israel, they took 10 tribes and displaced them. And we don't know where those 10 tribes are. They're known as the lost 10 tribes now because the Assyrian Empire has a way of completely annihilating to the best of their ability, the civilization of a group of people. Everyone was their enemy. When they came in and took over, they dissolved the cultures. So this is where they went after they had time with Jonah. Jonah gave them grace. They went back to their own ways. A hundred years after Jonah, God visits again, this time not extending grace, but declaring doom. And he used a guy called Nahum. You could actually call Nahum Jonah part two. Zephaniah and Jeremiah were prophesying in Judah and Josiah was turning his life and his nation to the Lord. And Assyria was still coming down on them. And from a small northern town, a man addressed the most powerful kingdom on earth. His name is Nahum. Let's read Nahum 1.1. This is what it says. A prophecy concerning Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Now, when you read that, be very careful when you read that out loud. That's one of those words you want to get right. You ever heard of the town of Capernaum? Capernaum is known as the village of Nahum. That's what it means. Capernaum means village of Nahum. We don't really know where uh, this city was, where Elkosh is. Many believe it's, it's Capernaum. Nahum basically went to Nineveh, unleashed this doom, unleashed this judgment. There's no story to Nahum. It's just three chapters of you're going to get it and it's going to be bad. So what I want to do is I fly over a few of the key verses and then we're going to talk about what in the world does this depressingly harsh, mean, doom, judgment book have to do with us today? So here's how to read Nahum. It's basically three parts. And uh, while Jonah declared grace, Nahum declares justice. And the first part, the entire first chapter of Nahum is all about the who. And I'm not talking about the band. I'm talking about the who being Jesus. It declares God's great goodness. Nahum starts off declaring how great his authority is, how great his justice is, and how great his patience is. Now check this out. He's about to unleash an incredibly harsh word and the very first verse, the very first prophecy out of Nahum after the introduction is this. He says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. That means God declares complete 100% submission. And then he says, the Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The word there is furious. We sing a a song called Furious here, and it's based upon that passage right there. He says, the Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. Now check this out. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. He says, you know, I'll I'll take you out. I don't want to. I would rather not. I would prefer to have you turn to me rather than for me to have to take you out. He says, but I will. I am slow to anger, but I'm great in power. Don't take advantage of my patience. Don't take advantage of my grace. He says, the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, I don't know about you, but he's saying that no one gets away with things. He says that abuser that nobody finds out about That person, that murderer who gets set free, the violent who never get called into account, the perverted that mess with people's brains and minds, you're thinking, God, where's the justice? These people live happy, wealthy, rich lives. 
You know, I started off with that story about, uh, you know, coming home and waking up to your family being abused and taken away. Here's what happens to the rest of that story. I was thinking through this, what kind of, how that story would play into Nahum is that he goes on with his life. He obsesses over finding this person. He can't find him. And then one day, years later, he watches the television and he sees on TV, he sees the abuser right in front of him on TV and he's wealthy. He's happy. And his son has now become his son. And he's angry and he's like, God, where are you? How could you do this? This is the principle of what's going on in Nahum. Their family had been taken from them. Their wives, their sons, but the men have been allowed to stay in Judah as a tribute nation, as a buffer between Assyria and Egypt. So they're the only people in the entire empire of Assyria that have been given a measure of independence, but it's not without abuse. And the people are saying, God, where are you? And Nahum says this, the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. And you might read this and you might think, excuse me, God, where are you in that promotion that the other guy got? God, where are you in in the wealthy that are getting rich and I'm barely making it? God, I don't see you and I'm about to give up on you. Well, then Nahum is for you. He says this, he goes on to say that God controls the earth, even the wind, the storms, the cloud, and the earthquakes. That's that video we watched earlier. And he says, verse 6, who can understand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good. Everybody say the Lord is good. In every way he is good. There is no evil in him. He cannot sin nor tempt you to sin. But... With an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. By the way, that's not just figuratively, that's also literally. Uh, He literally wiped out Nineveh with a flood. I'll, I'll talk to you about that in a little bit. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. He says, you know what? I finished what I started, God says. It says, I will finish this once and for all. So the first chapter is all about who God is, his power, his greatness, his supremacy. The second thing, he describes how Nineveh will fall. And it's the how. Chapter two is the how. Chapter one, the who. Chapter two, the how. He goes on in uh, the last part of chapter one, verse 12. He says, this is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and passed away. That means nobody's going to come to your aid, Nineveh. Nobody will help you. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Assyria will not bother you again. This will be the end for Assyria. He says, now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. And I will prepare your grave. I love that. The literal there is, I will dig your grave myself. Man, God is so cool when he uses words to describe his power. He says, I'm going to dig your grave. He says, for you are vile. 
Nahum tells us how Nineveh will fall, describing attacking armies, describing the colors of the attacking armies, describing the route of the attack, a breach in the river wall that will cause a great flood and the collapse of the actual palace itself, and the city will be washed away by its own river walls that have collapsed. They will be carried away, which is exactly what happened 50 years later. We'll talk about that in a minute. Chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Nineveh is like a pool whose water is draining away. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. uh, back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. The supply is endless, the wealth from all its treasures. She is pillaged, plundered, and stripped. Some translations say desolation, devastation, and destruction. Behold her. Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies will tremble, and every face grows pale. That means every face will be filled with fear. I am against you declares the Lord Almighty. Man, I want to tell you something. You don't want to make God your enemy. No, you might, if you don't remember anything today, write that down. Don't make God my enemy. That would be one you'd really want to remember. Verse, uh, chapter three, while chapter one is the who, chapter two is the how, chapter three is the why. He describes God's justice and how Nineveh deserves everything that's coming to them because of their brutal and bloody way of life. They were a mafia nation. Verse 1 of chapter 3 is where we get the title of today's message from. Woe to the city of blood. And that's like a movie right there. City of blood. Full of plunder. Now he's going to talk about what the city's personality is like. They're full of plunder. Never without victims. They... Uh, they, this is talking about them, the crack of wicks, uh, whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots. That's the noise of war. Since that's all that comes from you, Nineveh, is war and destruction and violence. He says, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, casualties piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses. He says, you are a nation obsessed with blood and violence. In fact, in the last 200 years, they've uncovered Assyrian tablets that describe the things that they have done. And I want to read some to you. And if you are a young child, I just want you to kind of be aware that these are graphic. These are from the tablets of Assyria, declaring how awesome they are in battle. They say this. He says, we cut off their heads and formed them into pillars. Another uh, um, tablet says, we flayed all the chief men who had revolted and covered the pillars with their skins. Another tablet says that we cut off the limbs of all of the officers, the royal officers who had rebelled. And then another one says, 3,000 captives I burned with fire. Another one says, their fingers, um, it says, uh, their corpses I formed into pillars. Another one says, uh, from sun, from some I cut off their hands and their fingers, and from others I cut off their noses, their eyes, and their fingers, and many I put out their eyes. Another one says, I made one pillar of the living and another of heads. I bound their heads to posts about the city. They were known for impaling people. They were known for attaching chains to their heads and dragging them back as slaves, as victor trophies. Assyria was a violent and vile. What, What Nahum attempts to describe is the reality of a nation that was a bloody 
city. Verse four, it says, all because of the waiting lust of a prostitute. He says, man, you prostituted your influence. He says, you sold out your values for wealth and for power, alluring the the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by their prostitution and peoples by their witchcraft. Verse five, he says, I'm against you, declares the Lord Almighty. Here's a strange strange analogy right here. He says, I will lift up your skirts over your face and I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pelt you with filth. I will treat you with the contempt and make you a spectacle. You never read that in Sunday school, did you? We're going to illustrate that one real quick. Verse seven, he says, all who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is in ruins. Who will mourn for her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? Nahum asks, uh, he begins to ask uh, Nineveh. He says, are you better than, than Thebes? Thebes is the southern part of Egypt where the royal Luxor, you know, the, uh, the, the royal city of Egypt is one of the most, it was the largest populated city and it was one of the most fortified cities. And guess who took them out? Assyria took them out, demolished them dislocated the people, I mean, relocated the people. And Nahum says, are you better than them? They thought they were in, uh, impenetrable. And guess what? You took them and guess what? God's taken you. God's gonna take you out just like you took them out. He says, go ahead, get yourself drunk and hide yourself in your pain. He says, as the enemy swarms in over you and scatters you to the mountains. And then he ends with this, the last verse in the entire book of Nahum is nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you will clap their hands. They will applaud at your fall for who has not felt your endless cruelty. The end. And they lived happily ever after. Well, no, they, and they lived happily. They, they didn't live at all. They, well, the end. That's, Three short chapters of doom and gloom upon a nation that was extremely violent. What in the world does it have to do with us, right? How is it that that book made its way into the Bible? And a lot of people think, well, there's a deeper meaning there. There's like, you see, Judah represents believers and Christians and and Nineveh, that, that's the Middle East. That's, or that's political powers and how God cares about politics and, and, and how God's going to come in. And, or Nineveh's like Las Vegas. And, and one day that God is going to take out Las Vegas. So be sure there's no churches there because it's all coming down, right? And people try to read into it. And I want you to know this. Here's the meaning of Nahum. Nineveh means Nineveh and Israel means Israel. And there are symbols for Nineveh and Israel. They were written by a prophet named Nahum to a city. This was a real event, real people, real actions written for them, but somehow, for some reason, preserved for us. So then what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything. Let's just go home. We finish this book and next week we'll start maybe with another one that means something to us. Okay, so let's pray. Uh, Excellent, right? No, it actually does have something to do with our life. It does have greater meaning for us um, because here's the big deal. It reveals the nature of God. So what I want to do in the next few minutes is I want to 
tell you four things that Nahum means for you and for me. In Judah, they were finally seeking God. Their families to the north were violently taken away from Assyria. And they were crying out, God, where are you? This is all for those who are frustrated with their situation in their life. Some of you, you can't seem to break out of your financial issues. Some of you, you're, you just, every time you turn around, somebody else is sick in your family. For some of you, it's like you're barely making ends meet while the wicked, man, those that aren't living for God, man, are buying, you know, 60-inch televisions. And you guys are like, what? And some of you are like, well, they don't struggle. They, they actually can go on a vacation. God, I don't get it. They, they, they can... They have shoes that fit their kids. They, they, you know, God, I don't understand. Why is it that I'm going through this, this treatment, uh, this medical treatment, this, and, and God, there are people that aren't living for God that are ha- happy. And, and, you know, why, why, God, did I lose my child when those that aren't living for you get to grow old together? God, why is it that I, I smoke cigarettes a little bit in my life and now I've got emphysema and this guy's smoking cigarettes till he's 102 years old, George Burns? Right? What is it, God? How is it? Why is it, God, I'm frustrated and confused with you? So Nahum tells us four powerful things about the nature of God. Number one, I want you to write this down. Nahum reminds us that in a world that does not make sense, number one, God is in control. God is in control. Nahum spends the entire chapter one to say, God is in charge of everything. There's nothing that happens that God isn't completely aware of and in control of. Now, that may be confusing for us. So Nahum nails it down and he says, but God is in control of everything and God is good. So sometimes that's all we got, right? God, I don't understand what's going on, but I know you're in control and I know you're good. That's all I got, God. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why I'm sick. I don't know why they're dying. I don't know why I can't get a job. God, I don't understand why, but I know you're in control and I know you're good. That's what Nahum nailed down chapter one. He says, God is good. Some of you need to know that today. That God has not lost control. God's not up there going, oh no, no, you're kidding me. Is that what the doctor really said? Oh, God goes, oh, oh, myself. He says, <laughs> he goes, oh, myself, I'm so sorry you lost your job. I wish I could have done something. Job 42, two says, the Lord uh, talking uh, to Job and Job responds to the Lord. He says, I know that you can do anything that no one can stop you. Psalm 115, verse 3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases, whatever pleases him. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is there anything too hard for me? Isaiah 46, 10 says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Daniel 4, 17, this is a tough one right here. He says, the decision is announced so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign. That means in control over the kingdoms of men and gives them to everyone, I'm sorry, to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. That means it doesn't matter what political power is in force, God has made the decision how it will be played out and who will be in that seat of authority. And God is good. He is in control. He is good. God is fully aware of what's going on. 
and he's still on the throne. The second thing Nahum teaches us is that God has not forgot you. That's the big message of Nahum. This is a group of people that felt like God had abandoned them. This is a group of people that saw their enemy, the Assyrians, robbing them of their life, taking away their family, destroying their future. And God says, hey, I have not forgotten you. I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what's going on in your life. And I'm able and I'm willing and I'm here to do something. I've got additional passages in your notes. Spend some time. If you need to know that God is with you, spend some time studying those verses this week. God is aware of your life and he has a plan at work in your life. You think, God, where is your justice? God, where are you in this time? God, where have you been? Let me tell you something. The word Nahum means comforter. How can this doom be comfort? Because the message of Nahum is, Judah, be comforted. God has not forgotten. Powerful. God has not forgotten your suffering. God sees you. Some of you need to know that today. Some of you are like, man, everything I pray seems to just fall right back to the ground. And I wonder if God's still there working in my life or still cares about me. I'll tell you something. God has not forgotten you. He has not given up on you. God may seem silent, but he is a God of great power who cares about you. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a refuge in time of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. In your trial, in your depression, in that attack that you feel, in that injustice, you are not forgotten. God is working in your dark hours. Here's some verses. Psalm 27, 5 says, For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Psalm 55, 22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxieties on him for he cares for you. He cares. He knows. He hasn't forgotten. Here's the third thing that Nahum tells us is that God will judge the wicked. This is big. God says, they're not going to get away with what they have done. Though it feels like you're in this alone, and it feels like nobody is helping, and that God has neglected your pain, God is saying, let me show you the end. He says, Judah, those people that are inflicting you with pain, I am slow to anger, Because I want people to have a chance to respond to my grace. But the guilty will go punished, I assure you. So let me show you their end. And that's Nahum. Nahum is speaking not only to Assyria, but telling Judah, God has not forgotten you. And those that torment you will be judged. There will be a day of reckoning. And guess what? Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So guess what happened? 50 years from the time that Nahum warned Assyria, this message became a reality almost to the exact, well, to the exact detail of everything that was said. Nineveh was completely decimated by a united group of nations led by an up-and-coming nation we now know as Babylon. Babylon then took over all of the other nations, and that's what we're going to talk about in uh, next week. 
Nahum demonstrates again the authenticity of the Bible. This was written years before the event and fulfilled in amazing detail. Check out this. Years later, um, check out these pictures here. Years later, there was an area outside of Mosul, which was believed to be the traditional site of where supposedly Nineveh was. Uh, And within 300 years of their destruction, Nineveh was no longer mentioned in a single historical book. In fact, a few hundred years later, when Alexander the Great took over the entire nation that was the empire there, he didn't even mention that city as even one that even existed. And check this out. For the last 2,000 years, it was believed that Nineveh was a make-believe place, that there was no such place. There was a location that was the traditional site of Nineveh, and it looked like this. It had these kind of mountainous range. And they, there was a town that was built in the middle of what was Nineveh outside of Mosul in Iraq. And, and these mountainous hills were just kind of mysteries. They had no idea what they were until 1824, where uh, an archaeologist decided to dig into these mountains. And guess what he found? Check this out. He found inside of these mounds, Nineveh. So just in the last couple of hundred years, they've, one of the most significant historical finds in the Middle East is Nineveh. And when they found these, this city, it was full of tablets and information and writing and writings about the history of Assyria, naming that city Nineveh. As you can see, as they dug into the ground, they actually found the walls inside of the earth. And as they began to unleash and dig off and remove these giant mounds, they found entire city walls. Forgotten until 1842, believed to be a myth. Now they're finding dead bodies with, with weapons in their hands and royal relics, a great library, and they've uncovered a massive temple. Look this out, this one last slide here. They've discovered a massive temple and they began to uncover giant statues. This is actually unburied, a giant statue. Now, believed to not exist, to believe to be a mythological location, God says, I will wipe you off the face of the earth. You will be forgotten. You will never be great again. Tell you, when God says something, he does something. He follows through. And this tells us that God judges the wicked. But guess what? Those of you that are afflicting you, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 says, God is just. He will pay back trouble for those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire and with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. And on the day he comes, uh, and on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who believed, this includes you. He's talking to believers because you believed our testimony is to you. He's saying, I'm talking to you believers that a day will come where those that afflict you will be judged when Christ returns. Nineveh got what they deserve. But guess what? We will get what we deserve apart from Christ. 
The Bible tells us, Matthew tells us, Jesus tells us that everyone will pay for what they have done. Sin is not to be taken lightly. God will not be mocked. In Luke 18, verse 7, Jesus says this. He says, and will not God bring justice for those for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What will Jesus find in you? You see, here's the question today. Are you a Nineveh or are you a Nahum? Are you a friend of God or are you an enemy of God? Are you one who will receive the wrath of God or will be one who is one who has received the grace of God? See, the choice is yours today. Do not understand God's holiness and his justice. Here's the reality of God. God is holy and we are not. Romans 3 reminds us that we have all sinned and every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. No one here is without excuse. There's not a single person on the face of the earth that won't have a day before God where they will have to give an account for the things that they have done. And we are all guilty as Nineveh is guilty. But Jesus, that's the bad news. The good news, Jesus made a way. The good news is that Jesus came and Romans 8, we're told that there is no condemnation, no wrath, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I want to challenge you today. The Bible tells us Jesus is both judge and justifier, the one who disciplines and the one who delivers. And this is the last thing I want to end with today that Nahum tells us that God will fight for those who trust in him. God will fight for those who trust in him. This week, I want to encourage you to read Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is a great uh, psalm about a a psalm writer named Asaph who basically was a worship leader at at the temple who wanted to give up on God because everything in his life was falling apart and everybody that wasn't serving God had good times going on for them and and, and Asaph said, you know, what's the use? Why don't I just quit living for you, God, and, and get what everybody else has? And, and then as you read the psalm, you see his character change into someone who's trusting in the Lord, who's relying upon the Lord, who understands that there will be a day of judgment and that he won't see it because he'll be blessed with grace. It's an amazing psalm. Don't give up. Don't give in. God's saying, I will fight for you. Be faithful and trust in me. First John 4, 4 says this. He says, you deal children, that's those of you that are born again, He says, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. When God is your enemy, you cannot win. But when God is your friend, you cannot lose. I want you to realize that. So you have an option to be either an enemy of God or a friend of God. Because as long as you are against God, which means doing your own thing, apart from God's will for your life, you are an enemy of God and you will never win ultimately. Now, those of you who are in Christ, you cannot lose in Christ. And though pain and trials and torment come your way, you will win because Christ is in you and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Romans 8, 31 says, what then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? And opposite, if God is against you, who can be for you? Are you a friend or an enemy? Nahum gives us an amazing glimpse of Jesus. 
Nahum gives us a, a unique picture as he is an image of Christ as the comforter. And he gives this one last passage. I'm going to close with this. Nahum 1.15 says, Look, there on the mountains, the feet of the one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. He's actually echoing almost word for word the words of Isaiah. Isaiah 52 says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who announces peace and brings the good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. Jesus is that one who brings good news. Jesus is that one who announces salvation, peace, and comfort. So as we end today, I want you to think about it like this. God is in control. God has not forgot you. Those apart from God, the enemies of God will be judged. And this last one, he will fight for you if you will trust in him. Jesus is the key to that peace, to that comfort, that salvation. I want to pray for you. If you're here today, say, you know what? I feel like God's forgot me. I feel like God's left me. I, I, you know what? I'm going through just a really hard time and I feel I'm frustrated. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel like God's even around. I want to pray for you today. I want you to know that God has not forgotten you and he will fight for you if you will trust in him. Here's what happened to Judah. Five years after Nineveh uh, Nineveh was taken out, 55 years after this prophecy, Judah turned away from God and they lost everything. And it is the most tragic incident in the history of Israel. We're going to talk about that next week as we begin to come to an end of the minor prophets. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much, Lord, that, that... Lord, when we hear this voice of yours through your word, God, when we hear that you are in control, when we hear that you are good, God, that we can trust in that. There's great peace and comfort in knowing that. And God, when we turn to Jesus and trust in what he has done for us, Lord, there's salvation in our life. And Lord, there's not condemnation or judgment upon us, but Lord, a life of hope and a future. God, I pray if there's anyone here that needs to know you're present, Lord, I pray that you'd show yourself today. Heads bowed, eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? That's me. I feel like God has forgotten me. I feel like I'm going through so much and I wonder if God is there. He is and he cares. He will bring strength and fight for those who trust in him. He's a shelter and a refuge for those who trust in him. Father, you see them, you see their life, you see their heart, you see their pain. God, for many of them, you see their sickness and you see their struggles. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, that they would just trust in you, surrender to you, find peace in you. Dear Jesus, Lord, help us to know of your grace and your mercy. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.